Hello, I'm Ricky. And I'm Joe. And this is Season 5, Episode 4 of the Beer and Broadband Podcast. It's slated to come out on May 2nd, 2022. And uh, with this one, we're going to be talking about a beer I made, the Brewer's Best Mexican Lager. I think, I think it's actually Brewer's Best Cerveza, not Mexican Lager. I, I wrote it down as Mexican Lager. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Insteon and some NFT stuff. But first, let's get to that beer. Um, so I made this with my daughter. And she's not enough, old enough to drink, but sometimes she likes to uh, help me make beer. And uh, we made it together um, from a kit that's a Brewer's Best kit. Um, and the, uh, you know, she's, she's from Honduras. So she um, wanted to always make a um cerveza or a, a, or some sort of thing that's like a dosa key or something like that right or uh, or you know my southern accent does not pronounce that necessarily well but uh i've given enough time babbling uh explaining the beer for you to uh maybe give some tasting notes while i take a sip yeah this is pretty good i mean it's it's a little bit bitter but not too bitter mm-hmm. um great color when i poured it great head Little hoppy, little—I don't want to say citrusy, but it's got that like lightness to it, like that kind of juiciness that comes from you know high acid fruits, but it doesn't really have that like acidic punch to it. Yeah, so it is supposed to everything that was put in there was supposed to like be a lighter color, have a little bit more like tropical fruit fruit flavors to it. Uh, just like you were talking about, like a mild kind of citrusy kind of flavor. And um, I know you had said you were going to put some lime in it. Have you have you done that yet? No, I haven't taken that taste yet. I was waiting for, uh, for the okay. go-ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Put some lime in it. I So the, the one that I got didn't, um, when I poured it, I poured it a little bit too close to the glass, and it didn't like form like a head or anything like that. But I've drank a few of these, and um, – when I first pulled them out, like when they were very, very young, they're about a year, um, a year, they're about a month and a half old now from the time that they've carbonated. So when I, uh, when I first pulled them out and had a few, um, they were a little bit more citrusy and the hop character was a little bit further back, but now mm-hmm. the hop character is a little bit more forward and the citrus character has taken a little bit of a step back. It's a, uh, that's the best way I can explain it. It, the closest thing that I could say that it's kind of like is like maybe um, a uh, Modelo Especial. Um, I, I guess that's how you're supposed to pronounce it. I know it's not a model. I know it's not a Modelo Especial. You know, you know what I'm saying. So. Um, I'm trying my best, but it's, you know, some, some Modelo, um, uh, beer, uh, it's not as weedy as other beers like this. And the process for brewing it was a little different too. So, so what's yeah. going on with that lime? Man, it brings so much of that, like citrus and fruit forward, just having a little bit of that acid in there. Yeah. It, I won't say it like it changes everything. You can tell it's still the same beer. But I mean, I'm not sure. Like, if I had another bottle of this, I definitely wouldn't drink the bottle plain. I'd put some lime juice in that one as well. Yeah, now, I'm not a big beer guy, but I'm gonna drink this whole thing, no questions. 
yeah it's a it's a really good beer um i i i will say i haven't had a beer that i brewed this year that i was disappointed in um i brewed mm. three this year and uh, over christmas i brewed a few too so I, I would include all of the beers that i've brewed in that in that category but this from the 2022 batch that i've done i think is oh man that's uh no i think old Nebercracker is the better which is as we learned when we were talking to rob uh, on dnd is uh an old Fezziwig clone um but i think i like that one the best but this is this is really good yeah this one with the lime at least at where it's aged right now this is my number one i'm mm-hmm. gonna like i said like all the other ones i've tried they're good i generally don't get through a whole bottle i'm getting through this whole bottle okay well you know uh, i can i can see that it's it's not a um it's i mean it's close for which one i like the best but i, I think mm. the old old Fezziwig uh clone the the old Nebercracker is my like favorite one that there's something about that spice combo that really like i like a whole lot the the citrus but like also that extra little bit of bitterness with that one that this mm-hmm. doesn't quite have um but i now that i know how to brew something like this i kind of want to go back and get all the right stuff to make another one that is like uh from either you know like me getting a malt kit and doing it or uh uh something like that uh but picking all the ingredients myself mm-hmm. so i'm i'm looking forward to it so moving on just a little bit have you heard do you know what insteon is i i mean i saw it in the notes <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Insteon was a home automation company and I say was, uh, they were, they were a home automation company up until about last week. Um, and they just shut down suddenly. Uh, and of course all their stuff was proprietary. Um, and so, you know, after they shut down uh, with no warning, no, you know, um, this is possibly going to happen to their customers. Uh, if if someone had to reset their hub or do something like that, it just like none of their automations would work. Everything was disconnected from anything like that. Now, if you you know had your light bulbs and your light mm-hmm. switches and everything, and, and the hub was still plugged in or still working, everything's still working right now. Um, but there's no like adding things to it or anything like that. Now. Before I move on to why I put this topic in here, mm-hmm. is any comments you have to say about like your thoughts on that or anything? I think we did an episode a few years ago, right, about something similar to this, or really the idea that things like this can happen. That when you buy these proprietary technologies, especially for like Internet of Things, stuff like that, these companies don't necessarily stick around a really long time. And then what happens to your stuff after that? At least it's it's good to hear that the stuff you have is at least continuing to work for now. Um, hopefully it stays that way for, for some foreseeable amount of time. But that's kind of the real, like, I won't say fear, but like that's the real gotcha with some of these home automation, home technology things, right? Because like the part of that people don't really talk about is that most startup companies fail miserably. 
um, it's really hard to be a startup in tech. And like, there's no guarantee that thing you're going to buy is still going to be there. It requires internet and outside servers and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to look it up because that just made me think about when was Insteon um, formed. But the reason I put this um, on here, like, you know, is exactly what you kind of, you know, hit on a company that you buy this stuff from and it locks you into a thing like like apple or something like that something that doesn't allow you to have interoperability or allow to like connect with something else or something else couldn't take over mm -hmm. you know those sort of things something like open hab or something like that that really puts you in a place where you are if that company goes down or it quits working for whatever reason you're just kind of screwed when it it quits working. And yeah. to be clear, uh, from my understanding of how this has gone down, they didn't send out any notice to their customers. They just oh, shut no. it down. And the the way that people found out that it that it wasn't working is somebody like had to reset their hub, and it just wouldn't work after that. Yeah, so that's so weird. Like on their website and they're talking about it. It sucks. Yeah. It, well, so now I'm not really sure exactly how that's that's playing out because, you know, I don't know if they're if they are actually talking about um their uh you know what what they're doing and everything else like that. I know they have a, a little blurb at the top of their their thing, uh their at their website. Um but there are some open source uh, developers who are trying to set it up so that NCI equipment and, and um, light switches and plug-in devices and all that other stuff will still work. Um, but for the foreseeable future, if you have one of those hubs, don't, don't reset it <laughs> right now. Yeah, that's, that's a shame. You know. Oh, yeah, yeah, they do all this stuff. I'm like, look at their products. You're dang like wall outlets. And I guess the wall power would still work. The remotes just wouldn't work. Like your thermostats. Oh, like wall keypads. Uh, yeah, yeah. Such so a pain in the butt. Because like that's the stuff that um, I really worry about when people set up home automation is you throw this stuff in there, you get real comfortable with where like a lot of things are when they get hooked up because. You know, it's all like remote controlled or voice controlled and things like that. And you don't think about it. And like, as soon as this dies, can you imagine like your wall keypad to control a bunch of devices is just like in some corner somewhere? It's just sitting there. It's yeah, not you can't use it anymore. Well, I mean, like, even if you could use it, it's like now the remotes for it don't work. Maybe the physical buttons do, depending on how the stuff works. But like now it's no longer in like a useful place. Heaven forbid the sort of people that have like, you know, electricians come in and help install some of this stuff. It's like, that's a lot of wasted money. So, yeah, it really sucks. It's one of those things where, I know I'm just dead, dead air here as I form my thoughts, but like, <laughs> you you pour a lot into, into things you own, right? So like, cars that you're fixing up, people who like to trick out cars, people that like to, you know, put a lot of stuff into their homes. So like, that all costs more than just, hey, this is the thing I bought, right? Mm -hmm. Like, 
you know, they do these cameras and stuff in there. Uh, look, a lot of people not probably handy enough to be installing a bunch of that stuff themselves. They're bringing people in to do it. Like I've got a handyman working on my house right now. What if I like paid my handyman two grand to take all this smart automation stuff and swap it all out for me? And now it doesn't work. You know, it's not just the however much I spent on the automation. Two grand to spend on the handyman. I'm going to have to get it all taken out again to put something else in there someday. And it's like wasted money. Exactly. So, now, there, there are things, I think, that are a little easier to do. Um, and then there are things that are a little bit more um, long-lasting. And so this was kind of like poised in between, like it was supposed to be interoperable between Alexa and Google. Oh, I just I just said the, the word. Sorry, everybody, for triggering your home assistant if you're listening to something. But uh, it's supposed to be interoperable between the ALEXA uh, and then the Google Assistants that, that are out there. It's supposed to be like um, a thing that was kind of like the smart things. Uh, so now there's something to be said for these big companies like Samsung that have these proprietary platforms, but that are kind of interoperable that, you know, say, Hey, we're going to be around for forever. Cause we've been around for forever. And yeah. then you have, and, and, then, and then you have things like, you know, open hab and, um, home assistant and things like that, that are these fantastic open source projects that you can get even hardware that's off the shelf fairly cheap ish and use it with that and and part and you know probably like save some of this sort of equipment or reuse some of this sort of equipment but ultimately you're still in a place where you're having to rely on someone else developing something for you for your home automation the fortunate thing with, with something like home assistant is that once it's set up unless you like lose your database or something or something goes wrong with it, you don't have it backed up. It'll just continue to work off of whatever it is that you have it on. Right. As long as the kit is physically able to do whatever it was supposed to do, it'll continue to work. Things like this, once they're down because they have a proprietary hub that you don't have access to the code and stuff like that, it's just kind of gone and there's nothing that you can really do about it. Um, so that, you know, if my Google Assistant widget over here that I keep on my desk that has like a little reminder thing quits working or the the one that's, you know, from Amazon quits working, you know, I spent 50 bucks on that. If I just kitted out my all my light switches in my house and all my light bulbs with something like this, I mean, that's thousands of dollars probably, just like you were talking about before. And then you had someone come in and put those things in and, you know, that's where it starts to be like, uh, hey, this is a little bit more than just a light switch, you know, going out. You like, you yeah. just suddenly like took down my whole house. Because yeah, you're, you're talking price ranges at that point. It's like, oh, hey, my fridge service went up and now my like, food won't be cold anymore. Right. You know, like yeah. it's a major cause sunk into that. And, you know, I'll even push back on on what you said about samsung because if anything we had the episode not too long ago about the zunes you know if it becomes unprofitable they'll drop it from from the big companies oh yeah yeah you know? yeah so yeah i feel like you're right that right now i mean if you're if you're really one of those people that want to get into home automation in like a serious way 
you almost got to go one of these open source or, you know, build your own kit sort of deals. Because at least then, you know, maybe it's not as easy to set up the first time, but no one's going to knock you out, you know? You're not going to wake up one morning to an I'm sorry email. And, you know, it's like, hey, look, we're going out of business. Uh, we'll leave the servers on for two months. Have fun. Yeah. You know? Or or just uh, we turned it off. Well, sucks to be you, you know, kind of thing. Yep. Um, well, I mean, hopefully uh, somebody will be able to, because I know that there's like an open source initiative to like fix that. And as much as like people that do open source stuff and I, I, I'm kind of in that ballpark too, like where I'm, I'm in, involved a little bit with a few open source communities. Um, they, while they, they may not be the people that you like socialize with the best, they are definitely the people that generally come to the rescue of crap like this and like bail stuff out, you know, which is good. I think, um, yeah. So let's talk about some NFT stuff. So, um, have you heard about this guy that owns Jack Dorsey's first tweet as an NFT? Uh, I know enough to like, I knew that was a thing, but I'm not too like involved past that. I saw the memes. Well, all right. So kind of lay down a little bit of the background. Um, basically this fella, and and Mm -hmm. I mean, he's famous. You can look it up to like get every single fact about it. If you want to, he bought the, a picture essentially, uh, well, a nonce that says that he owns, um, Jack Dorsey's first tweet, the NFT of it. Um, and he paid 2.9 million us dollars for that. And he now is kind of like, well, I want to sell it and I want to sell it on something like OpenSea. Oh no. Yeah. And he's had a couple of offers, but not what he wants for it. What he would like to get is 25 million US dollars for it. Because he thinks this is like a part of history. And he feels like the value of it is this huge amount because Twitter is such an impactful and super important company. All right? Yeah, not sure it's going to work out for him. Uh, so far, he's gotten an offer of $6,200 US yep. dollars. You know, this is, the, this is the kind of sad thing, right? That like NFTs are potentially such a great technology, and this is like what people are using it for. Yeah. It's a I, little painful. It is. It's very painful, I, I think, in that stuff. I actually, I think that from like an artwork perspective, so um, part of my background is that I trained as a graphic artist for a while. I went to college for it. And I've, I've never really necessarily held a job as it, so I'm not like, I wouldn't consider myself a professional. I did, you know, get a go as a, a studio artist, but there's a concept in art of having um, a certificate of authenticity. There's a lot of things like, you know, collectibles have certificates of authenticity oftentimes, stuff like that. Um, but for art, NFTs are great if you're actually creating something where you need to say, I, sol- I, I sold you the original, 
the original had like this thing and this is the certificate certificate of authenticity and therefore it is like put into something that like kind of makes it immutable i think for things like that it's great collectibles art as like an addition to a physical good it is a way of like tracking that certificate and ownership it's not not necessarily anonymized like the blockchain often is kind of called out to be for privacy reasons but it is a good way of getting a, a, a pretty significant ledger for that, right? But this type of junk is just, that's just, it's almost insulting. Yeah, it's a little wild. Like, it's so good for replacing physical items that can easily be done digitally. Like, just look at anything we do digitally now. Artwork's a good one. For like certain types of art, obviously not all art. You know, movie tickets. You know, we're, my wife wants to go take our kid to go see Frozen when it comes in. You know, Broadway show in a couple months. Those could be NFTs, and it'd be so easy to like drive a little extra value by having some small little thing attached to that. I remember like when I was a kid, I was a little hip there for a little bit for kids' movies to come with like a trading card or like the Pokemon movie that came out was a big one that had those little like golden Mewtwo ticket things. Yep. And it's like that just build that in. That's so perfect for it. Let's people kind of build up a little collection of things over time, not thinking about necessarily reselling them for tons of money. Like this is almost like becoming money laundering at some point. Where it's like, oh yeah, we're just trading this image back for a million dollars at a time. Don't worry yeah. about it, people. It's no big yeah. deal. That's, that's, I think, one thing I'm a little disappointed by and how the world has reacted to crypto. Is that uh, a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people are focused in on this. Hey, look, there's this thing happening in the crypto space. Uh, think some things like Bitcoin in the crypto space get really pricey. So I'm just going to, I'm in this for to make money. Mm-hmm. Like I'm in it just to sell it later, cash out for just more like fiat currency. And that's like not the point, you know, 100% not the point of it. It's supposed to not be, I mean, I, I definitely have like a little bit of a relationship where I do look at it, the value in fiat currency, but it's supposed to be something that gives you an alternative to ways of using currency not to like be a a a a a substitution for fiat currency right yeah yeah you know it's all about decentralized finance it's like this is a chance that this is a thing that i can can trade with like someday i might be able to use this in large places to trade goods there's already a lot of communities now on a small level you know, oh, I'm going to buy this thing from this person for, you know, a tenth of an Ethereum or something like that. You know, when I was doing my whole crypto studies I mean, at this point, like over a decade ago, that's what I was doing with it. Like buying items off of people and stuff like that. And it was all legit. It was just, you know, people doing their own stuff without having to use the U.S. dollar for it. Um, and now it just feels like, oh, well, did you know whatever coin? went up 50%. We got a 
okay, yeah, it's only still worth a thousandth of a penny, but we got we got to put our money in this right now. Yeah. I, uh, did I tell you the story about the guy I met at the park who was talking about crypto? No, you didn't. Oh, my God. I didn't engage with him too much. And maybe it's not fair to say I met him because I did not introduce myself. I was with my kid on the other side of this uh, little park bench thing. And this guy was talking to his buddies about crypto. And he was the dutiest dude bro ever. And it was all about like, oh, man, we could have made so much money on this. Oh, I hate Elon Musk because that thing he did on Saturday Night Live, it tanked the price of Dogecoin. And I was set up to be rich if I got high enough on Dogecoin. <laughs> and like that's all it was, everything to him. And he had no understanding of technology. I mean, <laughs> this guy was talking about he had like a little computer set up with like four graphics cards. And he's like, yeah, you know, uh, we're mining real heavy on these. And I got a couple other machines. And... and he was talking about how like one of his buddies had a whole bunch of do- Dogecoin and he lost the key to the wallet. And he's like, well, dude, I'll tell you what right now, he wouldn't let me do it, but I could have easily gotten that back from him. As powerful as my GPUs are, they would have cracked that password in seconds. And all I was thinking is like, well, any anything worse at snuff after a couple of bad guesses will, will lock you out. Yeah. And like most wallet keys are really long. Like the password you type in isn't necessarily, but when you try and like brute force something, you got four graphics cards and you're going to brute force like a SHA-248, a yeah. 2048. Yeah, that, that ain't going <laughs> to work out for you, buddy. I mean, you, you could, yeah. so that it, it, on a standard like password, you know, you can take a graphics card, like a regular graphics card and, use that to run a rainbow table and possibly brute force something if it's, you know, like in that table or something like that. If it's not, then even that, that's going to take months, probably. Oh, it's, if it's any decent length of password, it's taking a lot longer than that. I mean, even a decently powerful computer, you take like a standard, like 12 character password, that's, thousands of years to brute force that's the whole reason nobody brute forces anything anymore yeah (laughs) well i mean that that's what i was saying like if if you're if you're talking about like something that's in like a table right it's a yeah if he's got like one of the most uh ten thousand common passwords passwords, you're right yeah you you might you might get it pretty quick yeah Yeah. but if it's something that doesn't match one of those you're probably you're probably not going to have that happen but anyway yeah so he, he was my antithesis. Now, that's the guy you don't want to be in crypto. Talking about all guy. the times he was almost a millionaire. That guy. I mean, I, I too was almost a millionaire until I was shot down on being able to buy, you know, or mine or whatever the amount of crypto coin that I wanted to do. Um, and yes, yes, dude, man, we... We were similar in that way. Uh, <laughs> that's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a little crazy. <laughs> when he first started talking crypto, it's like, oh, maybe. And then the more he talks, I'm not getting involved in that. Yeah, I'm not talking to this guy. That's... Yeah. Well, um, do you have anything else you want to say about that topic? That particular topic? No. Just brew this beer and don't be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> my two takeaways. 
Well, we maybe we'll have a brew this beer and NFT uh, at some point, and you know you can then have yourself an NFT of the you know topic that we talked about while you're brewing your beer to uh, you know commemorate the moment that you brewed the cerveza from Brewer's Best. That might also sell you an NFT of the beer. What do you think about that? Look, we'll find a way to NFT a beer. I don't know what it is yet. We'll figure it out. A beer coin. Um, anyways, so thanks so much for listening, guys. Really appreciate it. This has been Season 5, Episode 4, Beer and Broadband Podcast. We have a Patreon and a Twitter, and all those links are right below in our show notes. I'm also putting a link for the uh, Brewer's Best Mexican Cerveza, so if you do get that hankering to brew this beer, you can at least find the recipe or buy the kit. I think that it's worth buying the kit. It's only like 50 bucks, you know, uh, 50 U.S. bucks, and if you can get it in your area. So have a good one, and we'll catch you next time.